idea of this morning's message is that by the sufficiency of God's grace, we are free to live for Christ. When my soul, with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. Many of us have been thinking about one word, and that is freedom. Since most of us are locked down somewhere, most of our freedom is limited for a short period of time. But in reality, the concept of freedom is much bigger than what we are experiencing now. Through the history, freedom is a right that most people cared about. There were movies made about the theme on the theme of freedom. There were wars fought for the sake of freedom, and there were laws made by nations to protect citizens. Their freedom, and today, as we look into First Corinthians chapter seven, verse one to twenty-four, we are、uh, learning about the concept of freedom, about Christian living, and to summarize our message with one sentence, it would be: by the sufficiency of God's grace, we are free to live for Christ. By the sufficiency of God's grace, we are free to live for Christ, and we'll be addressing three different questions. About freedom, one is what are we free from? The second question is why are we free? And the third question is how to be free. And with these three questions, we have three main points. One is that we are free from earthly conditions. And the second is that we are called to live for Christ. Why are we free? Because we are called to live for Christ. And the third point is how to be free. So we are free by being content in God's grace. Let us now turn into First Corinthians chapter seven. Let's read the the whole passage from verse one to verse twenty-four. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourself to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, and one of another. To the unmarried and the widow, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for this is better to marry. It is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the unmarried, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her. She should not divorce him, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, 
and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord is as bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. I would like to pray just once again to ask God to help us uh, to understand His Word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for this time and we thank You for Your Word. We ask You to be with us, to bless us, to help us understand Your will, and to make us grow, to make us more like Christ through Your Word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first and foremost, when we think of freedom, which is our theme of today's message, the important question to ask is, what are we free from? What is this freedom for? And from the text we just read, Paul is arguing that Christians are free from their earthly standards, conditions, and status. We are free from our earthly standards, conditions, and status. This is the very foundation of Paul's argument in this part of the letter. He is trying to teach the Corinthian church that no matter what their status in marriage or circumcision or slavery or any other circumstance, they are able to serve God. They don't have to be in certain status in order to live their Christian lives. That is why Paul emphasized that the church should remain in their current condition. Throughout verse 17 to 24, he repeats three times that believers are to live their lives from wherever they are. First in verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And verse 20, it says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And lastly, in verse 24, it says, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So Paul is saying that here to the church that they can remain in whatever situation they are in when God saved them. They don't need to seek changes in their status and conditions. Now if you start from the beginning of the chapter, Paul first addresses Corinthian church with the concern they have in their mind that is on their marital status. And he's trying to teach the Corinthian church that they are free from their marital status to serve Christ. During that period of time, the city of Corinth was a very corrupted city. 
People believed all kinds of false gods, and sexual immorality was very common sin. And in response to the culture, very likely that the church came to believe that it is better to be single. It is better to stay away from any kind of sexual acts. That is why it says in verse one, "It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman." It is said by the Corinthian church, and some version of the Bible translated that. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. So the Corinthians or the Christians in Corinth believed that sexual relations is not useful and most often damaging to the church. So it is best for man and woman to stay away from any sexual relations, even within marriage. And some may even think that it is good for married couple to avoid sexual conduct or even to be separated. That is why later in the writing from verse. Six to sixteen, Paul emphasized that believers in different marital status that they should not seek change; that they should remain in their own status, because many of them currently are thinking it is better for them not to have sexual relations at all, to be separated if they are married. So, from verse two to five, Paul responds to the church by correcting their belief. He teaches that the church, first, he teaches the church about God's design for sex and argues that. One of the purpose of marriage is actually to protect man and woman from sexual immorality. So verse two says, "But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband." The implication is that sexual desire and relation is not inherently sinful or bad, but it has to be within marriage between one man and one woman. And not only that, sex has to be within marriage, but husband and wife must devote themselves to each other, so they may avoid the temptation of the devil. Verse four and five writes that neither husband nor wife has authority over their own body; they are to give themselves physically to fulfill their spouse's sexual desire, and they should not deprive one another. Says in verse five, and the only exception is for prayer, but that is also for a limited time. Because we learn from the end of the verse that Satan is looking for opportunities like these to destroy marriages and to make Christians fall into sexual sins. As mentioned in the beginning, that the first main point is about believers' freedom from their earthly status. So, after ex- explaining the correct understanding of God's design for sex and marriage, Paul tries to break the bondage that the church has set up. Constrain believers to serve God only in singleness. So, from verse six to sixteen, Paul, in a very comprehensive manner, addresses the members of the church in every marital status and to remain in that condition. So, we can see in verse eight, to the unmarried and widows, it is good to remain single. It is good to remain single, but also be aware of sexual temptations. It is better to marry. And constantly struggle, struggle with sexual desire. And in verse ten, to the married, Paul says, "Wife should not separate from her husband, and husband should not divorce his wife." And when we come to verse twelve, to the rest, which are the believers who married unbelievers, even they should not seek divorce. A note here is that、uh, this is not approval that believers can marry unbelievers. But this applies to a situation、uh, when either husband or wife was saved after they were married. So Paul states that 
they are free to remain in that relationship as long as the other is willing to continue in their marriage. And because of the uniqueness of the situation, Paul added more explanation to clarify the value in that marriage. He writes in verse 14 that the unbelieving husband or wife is made holy because of their believing spouse. Made holy here does not mean salvation. It means to be set apart from the world. This is suggesting that there is a positive moral and spiritual influence of the believing spouse to the unbelieving husband or wife and their children. There's a good influence that might bring them closer to God, bring them nearer to salvation. But if the unbelieving partner desires to be divorced, the believer is not obligated to recover the marriage. Because as Paul writes in verse 16, we don't know if the spouse will be saved. It is outside of man's control. Therefore, we should not be concerned. And the main idea here, as Paul addresses to the different marital status, uh, Paul wants the church to learn that Christians do not need to force themselves to maintain a certain identity or status in this world or culture. So in verse 17, Paul brings out the core principle by saying, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Paul is telling the church not to worry about their marital status but focus on serving God and respond to His calling. And Paul wants the church to know that it is not only marital status that believers are free from. They are actually free from all earthly conditions. In verse 19, Paul also says that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. And in verse 21, it writes that neither should believers be concerned if they are being enslaved, because these are earthly concerns. They belong to this world. If we care too much, we will become servants of man, as he warns us in verse 23. Paul wants the Corinthians and us to remember that we are free. We are free men of the Lord, according to what he says in verse 22. We are free men of the Lord. But we've looked at the conditions Paul is addressing. These are actually important matters of our lives being married, enslaved, and back then circumcision is definitely very important. So why did Paul tell us that we are free from all these conditions? Why are we free? And to answer this question, we come to the second point of our message. That is, we are free from earthly conditions because we are called to live for Christ. And based on the scripture, we can break down the concept of living for Christ into two parts. One is that we are called by God. We are called by God. And the second part is that we belong to Christ. So after laying out the principle of marriage and sexual relations, Paul in verse 17 wants the church to first realize that they are called by God. He is trying to pull the church's attention away from focusing on their own condition and to focus on God and His sovereignty. He writes, only let each person lead the life that Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And this is my rule in all the churches. So it is God in his authority who assigned the life that we live in. And it is also him who saved us in the condition that he puts us into. Therefore, we are not in control of our condition, and we are not in control of the timing of our salvation. 
The only thing that God calls us to do is to obey Him. And this comes from Paul's command saying that the church needs to lead the life that the Lord has assigned. The phrase lead the life can also be translated to walk in the way, which means to follow God's will and commandments. So the first reason for Christians to be free from earthly conditions is that all earthly conditions are under God's sovereign plan. And God has placed us in all these conditions for a purpose. Therefore, we don't need to seek for changes. God has placed us in all these conditions for a purpose. Therefore, we don't need to seek for changes. So God has a purpose for us in all conditions. This is a truth that is something that we can rely on and find comfort from in this day and age. Ever since the start of pandemic, it feels like the world is out of control. And for the past two weeks, we have been living in a situation where we don't know what will happen when we wake up the next day. But in the face of these certainties, we must trust that God is in control. He has assigned this circumstance to us with a purpose. And there are many temptations in situations where our normal life has been disrupted. It is easy to fall into a lie thinking that there is little purpose in the current situation. We are tempted to believe that real life begins when everything goes back to normal, when we can freely visit each other, gather in hotel, or even travel abroad. But Paul's writing here reminds us that everything is what God has planned. And even in the unideal and unpredictable situation, we are called by God to live for Him. This is the life that we are assigned, and we must honor Him today. We are not to take away the purpose of any circumstance we live in, because the purpose is not defined by us, but given by God. Paul reminds the church that they are called by God to live under His sovereignty. Now, Paul also calls the church to recognize that they belong to Jesus Christ. That is the second part. That we belong to Christ. Because the freedom we gain in Christ makes all the status and bondage of this world insignificant. The text first reveals to us that Christ has set us free from the world. Verse 22 says, For he who was called in the Lord as a bond servant is free man of the Lord. There's a reminder that Christ has set us free from sin and its condemnation. Compared to the bondage that an enslaved person has on this earth, the bondage of sin is much more severe. The enslaved person may face hardship or even tor torture from this life, but one who is enslaved by sin will face the wrath of God and eternal punishment. Paul here is not trying to be insensitive to the struggles of being enslaved. This is why he also added in verse 21 that if there is an opportunity to be free, the enslaved should gain his freedom. But Paul wants the believers to understand the most important conditions are not our earthly conditions, but the spiritual ones. And our spiritual condition is well, as we have been saved by Christ and free from sin. This is important to be reminded because we live in a physical world. And very often our experience in this world occupies so much of our mind that we stop being aware of our spiritual lives. 
We live in a world where most people live their lives and focusing on their own problems. It might be the economy that slowed down their business. It might be the new policies that impact their children's education. Rarely do we talk to people and they say that they are thankful or they have no problems. But among all the people, we Christians should not be on, in contempt. We should, we should have all the reason to say that we are fine. Though the world may be occupied by the concerns of this life, our minds can focus on heaven, knowing that no longer enslaved by sin, but have eternal life in Christ. While we are free from sin and condemnation, Paul writes in verse 22 and 23 that we are servants of Christ. We are purchased by the blood of Christ. So he writes, He who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You are bought with a price. This is where Paul highlights the true value of Christian's life. We are bondservants of Christ. We belong to him. We were purchased with the blood of Jesus. This also explains why we are free from the earthly conditions. This new life is so valuable that it should, not, it should make what we possess or lack on earth unimportant. This new life is so valuable that it should make what we possess or lack on earth unimportant. Brothers and sisters, this passage is a great reminder for us to learn that we should not take our new life in Christ for granted. We should not live our Christian life and not truly understand the price that was paid for our sin and the cost of the blood of Jesus. I remember the days when I first began to go to elementary school. My mother would give me 10 kwai every week to buy anything I wanted after school. But I was a kid and I didn't have any sense of what money really is. So I was very careless in spending them. I remember the first day of school, I spent all of the money my mom gave me. That was for a week. And the second day, she gave me some more. But on the second day, I had so much fun playing with my friends. After school, I lost all the money. And I remember not feeling guilty because I really didn't know the true value of the money. But on that night, my mom gave me another ten kwai. And she told me, do not lose it, because for this ten kwai, I have to work for the whole day. For this ten kwai, I have to work for the whole day. I don't know if it's true, but I learned a lesson. On that moment, I learned the value of the money she gave me. Before that, I was just a foolish kid wasting his mother's wages, not knowing how much it cost. There are many valuable items we own in our lives, and most likely, the more valuable it is, the better we remember the price of it. But do we know how much it actually costs for us to live in Christ? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The Bible tells us the cost of our new life is death of God's only Son who came down from heaven, lived a perfectly obedient life, but nailed down on the cross for our sins. And it's by His blood we are purchased. And it is by this great cost we can confidently say that our earthly status does not matter. 
Now, freedom is the theme of our message. And until now, we have looked at what this freedom actually means. That is, we are free from our earthly conditions. And we also learn about the reason for us to be free. It is because Christ has purchased us and set us free. The truth is that we are free. Our freedom is given by God. It is safe and secure in God's hand. But influenced by our sinful nature, we often live as bond servants of this world. We often live as people who are not free. We can be easily carried away by the concerns of this world. So it is important for us to learn about the last point of today's message, which answers the question, how to be free? And Paul's answer to us is that we live out our freedom by being content in our relationship with God. We must be content in our relationship with God. From verse 17 to 24, Paul repeats three times to remind the church to remain in their current conditions. But in the closing reminder, he calls the church to focus on being with God. He writes in verse 24, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So what does it really mean when Paul says remain with God? And there are three implications for us to learn. One is that we have peace with God. We have peace with God. And the second is that we have access to God. We have access to God. And the third is that we are in God's presence. And all of these points us back of our contentment in our relationship with God. So first, we can remain with God because we have peace with God. We can remain with God because we have peace with Him. And this peace came from Christ dying on the cross for our sins. The synonym of remain with God is abide with God, which some other translation would say. This gives us a clear sense that in this relationship, we are to follow and rely God. But if God did not save us through Jesus Christ, it is not possible for us to be with God. If we have not been saved, we will not have the desire or intention to be with God. It says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means we all lived in darkness and acted against God's will. But more importantly, if we have not put our faith in Christ, neither did God have peace with us. If we have not put our faith in Christ, neither did God have peace with us. Because we will still be under God's breath. God would not be with us. He would be against us. As Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, which means sexual immorality or worship of false gods, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So before we were saved, we were sons of disobedience. We were against God, and God is against us. But if we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we now have peace with God. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. By faith we have been justified, 
and in our justification, we have peace with God, and are saved from His wrath. So when Paul calls the church to remain with God, it is also it is also a call for us to rejoice in the peace we have with God. Because once we were God's enemies, but He gave us His Son so that our relationship can be restored. We are now with Him. The second implications. Implication of remaining with God is that we now have full access to God. In God's work of salvation, He did not just save us and left us alone, but He became available to us. He cares for us as a father to His son. It is true that every parent in this world has the desire to provide for their children, but the Bible tells us God's love for His children is even greater. Matthew chapter seven verse eleven writes, "If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him?" No matter how loving our earthly parents are to us, the Scripture reminds us that our God has a greater love. He is the mightiest provider. He knows our needs. He knows what is good for us, and He is with us, caring. Listening to our needs, therefore, to remain with God is also to be thankful to Him, who is our provider and our caretaker. The third implication of remaining with God is that we are in God's presence. This is not referring to God's power of being everywhere. For God's children, the presence of God comes with a sense of security, just like the psalm psalmist writes. In Psalm twenty-three, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. And when Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he's not saying that in whatever condition each was called, there let him seek or find God. He said that there let him remain with God, because Paul knows God is promised to be with his people to protect his people. Hebrew thirteen writes that it is promised by God that He will never leave nor forsake His people. So in this promise, we should trust and find security. Our God is with us; He is promised to be with us. I can remember my most recent memories in asking God to be with me were before having big meetings with company executives. My prayer request often goes like this: God, I know. I should not fear man, but these people seem very sharp, smart, and intimidating. Be with me so that I know you are on my side. Let me feel your power so that I may not be anxious, but be secure when I meet my directors and managers. And after praying my prayer, sometimes I would feel very at peace and ended up having good conversations with my boss. But other times, I felt God was not with me. I can only sense myself and my managers in that room. So I thought, yeah, in God's authority, He has the right to not attend all the meetings that I have. I should submit to Him. However, after thinking about this passage and learning that God's presence in our lives is a promise, it changed my mind. Whether God is with me or not is not determined by my feeling of His presence, but by His word. So by His promise, He is with me. He is for me everywhere I go. 
Just like Paul is telling the church to be with God, he knows God's promise that he will always be with his people. So it is us who need to have faith and conviction in believing that he is here. And we should not leave we should not leave it to our own feeling. It is a great reminder for us that we don't just pray to feel about God's presence, but more importantly, we should pray to have faith in believing in God's presence. I know many of us are living in a challenging situation today. You may be trapped physically with lockdowns in your xiaochu. You may feel trapped mentally with problems at home or at work. Or you may feel trapped by the consequence of your past sinful behaviors. If that is the case, my encouragement is for us to rest in God's presence. We have all the reasons to rejoice in our salvation and our peace with God. We can rely on God's provision for all that we need. And we should also trust in His promise that He will never forsake us. He is for us. He is with us. And if we fix our own attention to our relationship with God, we will find true joy and contentment. And the contentment we have in God will set us free from the cares and concerns of this world. We shall conclude. The main idea of this morning's message is that by the sufficiency of God's grace, we are free to live for Christ. We learn that the freedom we have is a freedom from earthly conditions and status. And this freedom is given by Christ who died for our sins. And at last we learn that for us to live out our freedom, we must be content in God's presence and in His relationship. Because in His presence, He graciously loves and cares for us. So brothers and sisters, my encouragement for you in the coming week is to care less about our condition in this world, but to look into the promise of God and see what we already have and what is promised to come. Because the riches we possess in Christ are infinitely greater than all the treasures and status on this earth, and it can give us comfort facing troubles of this world.